You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Thursday the 23rd of June, a little overcast here in TW11 this morning. We begin today's programme by paying tribute to Alec Head, who has died aged 97. He simply was one of the racing greats. Not only a man who was a brilliant trainer, breeder, owner, and not a bad rider in his day either, he was a founding father in every respect, a true pioneer, a globalist, somebody who understood racing and bloodstock in all corners of the world, who produced a wonderfully talented training daughter in Crequette and a brilliantly a precocious and talented young rider in Freddie, who then went on to have so much success as a trainer himself. The Head family name is simply inextricably linked with racing in France over decades, over generations, and that has had its influence felt across the planet. In a moment we'll be talking to Gary Moore from his home in Australia. He remembers growing up in France while his father George was jockey to Alec Head and won the art for him all the way back in the 1950s and he himself then to complete the circle rode Alec Head's Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe winner Gold River at a huge price in 1981. For good measure five years later in the colours of Alec Head's wife Gilaine finished second aboard Bering for trainer Cricket Head. We'll be talking to Gary in a few moments' time. First of all, though, Jonathan Harding is with me from the Racing Post. Jonathan, you've been pouring through the archives. What struck you first about this amazing life and career? I'd say what strikes the most is just the array of races that he won. We produced a CV on our website and I was scrolling and scrolling and it didn't end. I mean, he's just won so many classics in Britain, France and Ireland. He's won the Arc four times as a trainer. He's won the King George. He's won the Derby over here with Lavendin. It was just, his CV is absolutely ridiculous. And he, it's important to note he's not, we're not just mourning the loss here of a, a key figure in French racing, but a true great of the sport as a trainer. Then as an influential owner-breeder at Le Canet, his stud, where he produced Trev. And he also, of course, produced future trainers in Cricket and Freddie, who won the arc four times as a jockey and then now Christopher is a trainer as well his Freddie's son so just one of those he's a patriarch of one of the biggest and most successful racing dynasties and a huge huge loss his his record speaks for itself and and he himself in an interview a few years ago was asked who he admired and he said, he said Vincent O'Brien, and, and you can only really think of, of Dr. O'Brien as far as Alec Head's contemporaries are concerned, who, who was his, his, his peer. And, and the, the thing that struck me was how those two men, m- more than any other perhaps since, strove to make the world a smaller place in terms of thoroughbred racing. They were, they were fascinated in racing all around the globe. They had contacts in Australasia, in North America. Because of their, their deep love of breeding thoroughbreds, their, their tentacles spread incredibly wide when it was much, much harder to get around and to move horses around. 
the bravery to campaign horses around the world in those big races and, and, and to pinpoint them. It's not, it wouldn't have been quite so easy then to know, well, I've got this horse that could travel over to Australia or even over to Britain and Ireland and be pinpointed for that race. It would have been a lot more on trust and gut judgment, but they were brave enough to do it. And importantly, that they had the horses at their disposal and he clearly, clearly had an eye for a horse i mean the all the tributes to him just say he was a genius when it came to selecting stallions and breeding and knowing what pairings would work and and in his training days finding those horses and and targeting them ambitiously and and he reaped the rewards didn't he i mean the number of group ones on that list is is frankly ridiculous his record is unbelievable and the legacy was of course carried on by his children as well Jonathan, I often imagine his pride first in 79 and then in 2013 and 14. First with three troikas, he trained the sire, Leafard. Uh, three troikas was ridden by his son, trained by his daughter, owned by his wife. And then Trev, whom he bred at Le Kene, winning two arcs, again, four, four cricket. It must have been in- incredible uh, affirmation for, for Alec Head uh, of what he built up and worked for over the years and, and again across that extraordinary time span. I still hold the arc up to be the sort of race certainly from a European standard that is the best of the best of the best and here we had you know for the best jockey the best trainer and for them to combine like that is just just unbelievable and it, it's like I say it's one of those great racing dynasties it's fascinating to look back and just see where they intertwine even have a look at the results of the of the arc you just type in the surname head and it pops up all over the place it comes up with seven or eight results for just covering an enormous span of time as well that longevity is really important as well it wasn't just a flash in the pan he was so successful over such a long period of time and um yeah just a remarkable man i think uh, Edouard de Rothschild, speaking um, to the Thoroughbred Daily News yesterday, said for nearly 100 years, Alec Head has marked the history of racing, first as a jockey, then as a trainer for the sport's most prestigious owners, but also as a breeder of pre-Lagre Triomphe winners that were bred at his Arada Kenne in Normandy and as an owner of champions. We remember him for his pioneering spirit, his talent for exploring new projects, for being a man ahead of his time who always looked towards the future. He was incredibly daring and ambitious. His exceptional career has influenced several generations of racing professionals and enthusiasts. He inspired his children and grandchildren, who today carry on the family tradition. Well, Jonathan mentioned Saint Crespin. He won the arc for Alec Head in 1959. Full circle, 1981, in bottomless ground. France's most famous horse race, you could argue Europe's most famous horse race, one of its most famous horse races, was won by George's son, Gary, this time on Gold River. I've been speaking to Gary from his home in Sydney, and he takes me all the way back to where the association between the Moore and Head families began. We can go back to 1959 when uh, Dad was riding for the uh, Ali Khan, um, and, and John and I were at school in Paris. So that's how far we go back to 1959, uh, back to when Dad won the Arc on St. Crespin, I believe. I mean, we were lucky enough to go up to um, when Dad, I think, had the chance. Would, I, would it be Charles de Gaulle or Jessica Destin that Dad met back in 59? It'd be Charles de Gaulle, wouldn't it? We've got Dad on the steps that when he won the arc on Saint-Crespin, that it was, I think Dad was just 
was presented to, to whoever the president was of France in those days, back in 59. Then um, Dad went back to ride in um, in England in 67. I mean, the, the uh, Prince Alec Kong got killed, as you know, in a, in a murder accident. And then I, Dad and I, well, Dad was then writing for Sonal Merlis, the late Sonal Merlis in 67, and I was apprenticed to Alec Head in 67. And the first winner I read was for Alec's father, Willie. Well, I was uh, 15 years of age, and my first winner, like I mentioned, for uh, Willie Head, it was a place called Rambouillet. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> and I won. <laughs> I thought, I think it was for Mr. Berman, who um, uh, Mr. Willie had, had a lot of horses. I think he owned Beaumont, in fact, that won the Ark. Probably might have been, well, Freddie wrote it. I'm not sure what year that was. Anyway, so that was my first um, winner as an apprentice to Alec Head in France in 1967. So what was it like being apprenticed to Alec Head? What kind of man was he? Well, like I mentioned, after riding for Dad in Hong Kong, I thought Dad was tough. But putting the two together, I think they're about equal. But they, they, they sort of made me a better jockey, better rider, uh, riding for both of them because, you know, they expected so much from you. And I was lucky enough to be able to, to fulfill their, their, let's say, wishes, except with being like Dad giving me a kick up the rear end and Alec and sort of telling me what a, um, a mauvais jockey is. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, no, great men to ride for, great memories, a lot of success riding for the Head family when we come a little bit closer now. You know, winning the Arc de Triomphe, Peter Jockey Club, and numerous big races in France, not forgetting the Thousand Guineas in England. What do you think made Alec Head such a, not just such a great trainer, but such a force in the sport for, for so many generations? These, these kind of men are gifted. They're just gifted. I don't know how good a jockey was uh, Alec was. I know Dad said, listen, Alec, please don't tell me how to ride. You couldn't sit on. I'll ride the way I wish. I want to ride, right? And they, they, they were so successful. But, I mean, it, it's like Dad was a you know, great jockey, great trainer. They, these, these men are just gifted in the racing industry. Do you believe it was something about the the era that they came from, the 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 sort of spirit that they grew up in? I mean, back in in, in that those days, you you had some wonderful trainers that you know that uh, like Francois, uh, you had Francois Boutin, you had um, people that trained uh, the trainer that trained for Roy Dupre. You know, you, you had really great horsemen like you know Sonal Merlis. Um, John Dunlop. I mean, it's a different era now to, to train racehorses. It's you know, there's so much social media involved. But I mean, these these great trainers of yesteryear were just gifted, gifted. Really, like Alex said when he he did this interview in 2015, is is you gifted. You it's it's you, you just see a horse in a in a, a different way than the other trainers. So you won the arc for for Alec Head in 1981. Yep. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, that day, that horse, and what that race meant to that family. 
Well, let's say that I was really coming over to ride for a horse, uh, a filly of dads in the Marcel Boussac, and then Freddie jumped off Detroit. Excuse me. Freddie jumped off Gold River after he'd won the Prix Roloque on her to ride Detroit for Mr. Sangster. And that's when I got the call from Alec or Mr. Head that would I be interested in come across and ride Gold River in the Arc de Triomphe. Uh, not knowing she was 99 to 1, but I said, sure, would love to come across. And But, you know, I had a lot of luck in the Arc, as you can see by my record. You know, I rode, um, I won the Arc on Gold River, ran second on Bering, probably the best Arc de Triomphe we've ever seen. And then I rode Green Dance. So I was always very close to the money. I mean, I could have ridden that, that filly that um, Walter Swinburne won on that I rode in the Japan Cup and finished second, but I... I decided to stick with Escaline, who I won the Prijan on, but she'd been coughing prior to the arc and that had a little setback. But, I mean, it was a pretty special race. And, I, you know, I see it's one of the greatest races in the world, if not the greatest. Yeah, and that's why that race means so much to that family who are woven through it so so inextricably. You were talking about the, the filly that, that Walter Swinburne rode. I think you're talking about all along, are you, in 83? Yeah, well done, good boy, you're right, exactly, spot on, exactly, yeah. Rode all along in the Japan Cup and got beat by half-iced. Anyway, going back, you know, we, you know, Dad won the Ark in 59 and I've won it in 81, so we sort of go back with the, the head family a long way. And when you think that when I had my first ride in France as an apprentice, Freddie helped me carry my bag into the jockey's room. Uh, and you rode in Madame Head's colours, didn't you, Bering, you mentioned, uh, in, uh, that was Dancing Braves Ark, 86. Yeah, I mean, you know, sort of Pat outrode me, I think, on Dancing Brave. And like Prince Khalid's always said, that's the best horse he's ever owned, I think. So, yeah, that was pretty special arc in, 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 in that year. You look at the dynasty that, that Alec Head's created, not just a great trainer of horses, but a, clearly a, a great trainer of people. I mean, you've had first-hand experience of that. You see, you see the success that Cricket's had, now retired, and see the success Freddie's had as a jockey jockey and as a trainer and the admiration clearly that they had for for him as a as a patriarch and as a mentor um talk to me a little bit about that well i mean it's the dynasty you go back to mr willyhead uh, before alec right it's it's you're going back many many years and i mean this is the kind of foundation uh, that a family has in racing back in those days but uh I mean, there's, and then you've got uh, Freddie's son started up, uh, Christopher, is it? Started off, so the dynasty is going to continue. And it, it's just, it's fascinating how the two, your two families have been, you know, so closely involved in all this success for, 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 for such a long time. I mean, it's history. Unfortunately, we're already getting a little old. Well, I mean, there's still a few of us left. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely, I mean, it's it's just to, to know that, that um well, Dad's not here, but I mean to think that I've been part of um, the Head Dynasty is is quite special, and I'm really saddened to hear that Mr. Head passed away yesterday. One racing great paying tribute to one of the all-time racing greats, Gary Moore, talking fondly of Alec Head and a, a real trip down memory lane there as well. Just picking up some other pieces of news. Uh, Jonathan Harding for the Racing Post still with me. Jonathan, uh, Joseph O'Brien yesterday uh, gave a, a hint that he's considering the, the Sussex stakes for State of Rest, his Prince of Wales' stakes winner. 
And if, if he were to run there, he, of course, would be taking on Baid and Caribus. He's also got the alternative of the Jacques Le Marois. We heard from William Haggis yesterday. If that's the case, he'll be taking on Maljum, most likely, and whatever France has to throw in his way. And he could then possibly go to the Judmont International, but I wouldn't have thought he'd be able to do the Jacques Mawa and the Judmont. He may, however, be able to do like Baid, the Sussex and the Judmont. But either which way, it's the idea of dropping him back to a mile that's the interesting part of this, isn't it? No, absolutely. And I think you're right. The timings for uh, taking on the Jacques Lamaro and then the Judmont is a little bit tight, which I think is probably where this has come from with the Sussex. Um, it's a real tease, actually, because the idea of state of rest taking on Baid and Caribus and, and a whole host of top horses in the Sussex Stakes is really very exciting. He's obviously shown something at home. Um, he's shown a lot of pace at home, Joseph O'Brien was saying. And I, if you look back at that Ascot race, he quickened up so, so well. And I don't think dropping back to Mar will be an issue at all. I mean, he's clearly very versatile and his future is over further but he has that turn of foot and uh, he's incredibly exciting isn't he I think if you're looking to crown Baid and you know these these great comparisons which I, I think are a bit spurious really with with Frankel and co and, and even his own stallion see the stars but I think if you're looking to kind of anoint him as one of the greats you want him to be taking on fresh fresh horses every time don't you you want you don't want him to keep beating up on the same group of inferiors over and over again no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and you you don't want to sort of uh, flat track bully over a mile. You know, you don't be taking on the same horses who have stuck at a mile and haven't yet stepped up and tripped because there's enough time, isn't there, to keep having a crack at these big mile races and then step up later in the year, second half of the campaign. And I think Baida will be doing very similar, won't he? He'll be Sussex and then on to the Judmont. But State of Rest is a very interesting proposition dropping back. Like I say, just... He has that electric turn of foot, which he showed at Royal Ascot. He's got clearly got a bit of pace. At some point, I guess, they've got to give him a break, even though he was very lightly campaigned last year, if they want to go and defend the Cox Plate, which looks favourite from Joseph O'Brien's quotes yesterday. He said it's likely will round off his career before going to stud in, in, in the Cox Plate, the race he won last year, rather than going to America, though he, he did keep the Breeders' Cup in there as, a, as an option. Though there isn't a race at the Breeders' Cup that absolutely fits in perfectly at the moment. No, and as we're just speaking earlier about sort of ambitious, brave trainers, and Joseph O'Brien's has such success going over to Australia. It does seem like a very interesting target. I think just about you'd be okay with with the break from uh, sort of the Jubmont and going into that race. You've, it's a, a spread out enough, I feel. Well, what about another horse who covered himself in glory at Royal Ascot, this time in defeat? Mojo Star added a runners-up spot in the Gold Cup after a monster layoff to second placings in the Derby and the St. Ledger last year. He's due a big one. He deserves one. What might be his target, I wonder? I've been speaking to his trainer, Richard Hannon, justifiably proud of what the horse achieved. Actually, we were all extremely proud of his run, Nick. Um, you know, he's been second in those three, what you would call, you know, flagship group ones. And, and I actually thought he was going to win for a bit. I was, you know, having his first run of the year and running a race like that in the Gold Cup, going that trip... It was a hell of a performance from him, very brave, and it's just a shame he couldn't hang on. But he's proved himself, you know, a horse that we can look forward to immensely, anywhere from a mile and a half to two and a half miles. Would you look at the Princess of Wales at the July Festival, possibly? 
Definitely. I think he's got the speed for that. He's second in the derby. Of course he has. It was always a question of just whether he got the trip in the Gold Cup, and he did, which makes him very versatile in those range of trips I just mentioned. And the Prince of Wales comes at an ideal time. He would have improved massively for that Ascot run, and he'll be a better horse for it. And I know you've got all those targets, like the Goodwood Cup, the Lonsdale, Doncaster Cup. They, they could all come your way as well. Have you considered something like the Melbourne Cup? I, I've seen that mentioned in a few places. Yes, a lot of people have asked me that question. And, you know, it's very hard. Very, The ground is very quick out there. Yes, it was quick to ask her. But if you're rushing up miles on that sort of ground, they're hard miles. And it comes at the right end of the year and it's definitely under consideration you know the guy that, that owns his horse gear corruption he'll have a go at anything and that is definitely on his radar and it might just be his race at the right trip uh, you mentioned Keir Jarobchin. You, you have got a number of ammo racing two-year-olds. I guess Persian Force is the best of them and he ran a great race in the in the Coventry Stakes. What are you doing with him? He goes to the July Stakes um, and he's come out of the race absolutely fine. He was slightly unlucky in that the winner was away from him, although the winner quickened well. But you know, this lad is is an extremely good horse and hopefully it'll be, you know, July stakes on the way to something better, hopefully. You do like that July festival, don't you? You've had loads of success there. Won the Falmouth last year with Yeah, but you you do go and it's getting harder. You do go well there, don't you? Though you did Falmouth with Snow Lantern last year. Do you think Heredi is in that in that league? Could she could she step up? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, it takes a, takes a very good, you know, it takes a group horse to win a handicap at Royal Ascot, and so she must be a group horse. Whether she's a, it's a group three, group two, or group one, she's unbeaten. So effectively, she hasn't been quantified yet, and she's come an awful long way in a short period. She looks a million, and she's come out of the race fine. So, the Falmouth is a huge possibility, as is, as is you know a race like the Rothschild. I kind of don't want to take on Gozzi's filly in Spiral. She looks a very good filly, but at the end of the day, you know, if if you're not in it, you're not going to win it. I'd love to think that she could win a race like that. And that's why the right time anyway. And she's, you know, she's she's in the form of her life. And that's why you rolled the dice with Lucille enough times and he keeps coming up for you and he ran a great race in the St. James's Palace. Are you going to have another crack at Caribus, Baid and all, the, all those in the in the Sussex, given the ownership of the horse? Well, do you know, I think we're, all, we're certain now we're going to go to the, to the Jean Pratt. That's his next run, depending on how he gets on there. It will depend on where we go from here. Um, he looks at, amongst the three-year-old milers. There's not a lot between a whole lot of them. Um, Baid, I think you're talking about a different class of animal there. You know, he'd be, there's more chance of an Elvis on the tube than, than they expect him to beat him. But, you know, um, they do sponsor that race, and so it has to be a possibility. If Baid is turning up, there's a good chance he'll only be three or four. You're not, you're not going to see Elvis on the tube this week anyway. You might next week. Oh, yeah, there's a strike. Well, then, uh, that, no, I meant that. As in, there's no chance, Nick. I know, I know. Sorry, I know. I'm not a Londoner. I don't know when the strikes are, but you ain't going to see him on the tube and you ain't going to beat by E. Simple. Simples. <laughs> the one and only Richard Hannon there. Now, we spoke earlier about Alec Head to a multiple Hong Kong champion jockey 
in Gary Moore. The Jockeys' Championship, with not long to go, is really hotting up this time round. And J.A. McGraw, we spoke to him yesterday for the usual update, but Jim, I needed to bring you in again because things have taken twists and turns and this is brewing up into a, I was going to say a humdinger, but a very dramatic conclusion to the Jockeys' Championship in Hong Kong. There have been many twists and turns along the way, Nick. Yes, um, of course, back in December, Zach Purton had that shocking fall during the Hong Kong International Races in the sprint. He was out for four or five weeks with multiple injuries, returned and uh, was able to cut back a a deficit of about 15 or so uh, on Joe Moreira, who uh, is still holding a lead. But we had drama uh, yesterday at uh, Happy Valley when uh, Moreira rode in the first race and then came in complaining of chest pains. He was immediately signed off. He didn't ride for the rest of the night. And uh, he's been signed off again tomorrow, racing on Saturday this weekend uh, in Hong Kong. So this throws Zach right back in the picture again. He's only one behind Joe Moreira now, a uh, 127 to 126. And there are seven meetings left. The, uh, The season ends on Saturday, the 16th of July. Right, so how do you see this playing out? Well, it's very interesting. I think Zach is now back in the driving seat because he's a, he's a fierce competitor, Zach. But not only that, he plays mind games with Marrera. Uh, he has that ability to just get inside uh, Marrera's head and to just needle in that bit. Uh, he's a he's a great competitor, and I would say at the moment, if you were betting, I'd be betting odds on, slight odds on, uh, Zach actually getting this one. Would it be fair to say that the pair of them are unlikely to be going for a pint after racing? Uh, it's interesting. I interviewed Barrera uh, earlier in the season, and he said um, he said we have respect. Uh, he said, uh, uh, and that's, that was the, the word he used. He said, "We do have respect for each other." Um, I didn't, I didn't hear the word love mentioned, but uh, respect was certainly the, the, word, the word that he used. Yeah, when you, when you talk about these great old school battles between between jockeys, and we heard quite a bit about it recently, Steve Cawthon's been over talking about the antipathy between him and Piggott to begin with, and some of the great rivalries. It, it it's the essence of sport, isn't it, Jim? Well, of course, it's the essence of sport. It's 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 what it's uh, really, and, and of course, it makes it so much more interesting for the punter. And you, you know, we go. You were talking about uh, the Steve Coulson days, but going back before that, uh, Leicester with Scobie Breezley from Australia. Now, I'm told back in the fifties, people who were punters here or race goers here, you were either a Scobie man or you were a Leicester man. You know, you, there was a complete divide and uh, you were either one or the other. You couldn't do both. Uh, and I think we're getting something similar developing um, uh, along the, those lines in Hong Kong. Uh, yeah, Marrera's got his followers, but so too is Zach. You know, it's um, and they're so completely different. Their riding styles are so different. Their personalities are so different. You know, Zach is an abrasive, uh, straight-from-the-shoulder man. Um, Joe Marrera is, is a sort of, uh, he has his own sort of uh, South American charm, and, and he's uh, sort of in a softer way, a gentler way when he expresses himself. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is fascinating. Uh, Jim McGrath there. Now, there are reports this morning that Christophe Lemaire was coming to Europe for six weeks. Cue great excitement that the French-born champion who now applies his trade to such great effect in Japan and across the globe was going to be available to ride in Europe. Uh, Christophe joins me now. Christophe, that is 
only partly true, isn't it? Yes, partly partly true because um, uh, the GRA uh, um, allowed me to go back to to Europe uh, and let me ride the the Shergar Cup uh, on the sixth of August. But um, during July, I will be in France uh, visiting my family and uh, my friends. I haven't been to France for the last three years uh, because of Corona. So I have uh, some time to spend with, uh, with my family. So um, I, will, I, I will be very happy to, to ride in Ascot again uh, for the Shergar Cup, which is, uh, which is a very good uh, jockey championship. Uh, and I will be happy to to go back to France, but uh, I I won't be riding every week or every day uh, in France. Okay, so it's holiday really, but just the just the one off for the Shergar Cup. When you when you head back to Japan in the autumn, when the season really begins to to hot up, who will you most be looking forward to to, to getting back on board? Um. I think Equinox uh, will be a very strong contender for the Tenno Show and the Japan Cup uh, this autumn. Uh, he, he ran very well in the Japanese Guineas and in the Japanese Derby, finishing second uh, twice. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was still a little bit immature. And uh, for sure, uh, from the autumn, uh, he will be stronger and tougher. And uh, he's got a lot of potential and uh, I'm very keen with this horse. So hopefully uh, um, he will grab a group one uh, uh, this autumn. Well, Jonathan Harding from the, the Racing Post is, is still with me. Jonathan, what are you going to be up to for the remainder of this week? You're on quite an important mission. Yes, I am indeed. So on Saturday, I will be joining Gay Calloway and a team of dedicated volunteers going out to eastern Poland to the Polish-Ukraine border and a rescue centre out in Chezhov, in the city of Chezhov, delivering supplies. Um, basically, we have uh, Charlie Thornycroft has been running a, a hub over there for horses impacted by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, they've been taken over the border to her hub, where she and a team of volunteers patch them up and send them off into Europe, but they desperately need supplies and it's entirely run on donations. So I'll be in a horse box on Saturday night going over to Holland, uh, driving in a straight line for about 14 hours or so until we get there, and then um, delivering much-needed supplies for horses, but also for people and other animals to be distributed around eastern Poland and uh, taken over the border as well. So, yeah, it will be fascinating to see that important work and hopefully recount my experiences and give people an idea of of what what it's like and the, the heroic efforts that are going on over there as well so yeah will be interesting experience will be difficult but uh, there's a good bunch of people going over and looking forward to it in a weird way although it's it's slight apprehension about what i'll see over there because it's it's one thing to read about these things but quite another to witness that hardship firsthand Tell me a little bit about how, how you got involved. I know Gay Kellaway's been, been doing this for a little while now, but clearly after the initial raft of publicity, people sort of move on and, and start thinking about other things. 
Yeah, it's really difficult, and I'd say that's that's possibly true of of the conflict over there in general. But it's still the fallout from this is still going on from a, a human and animal perspective. But it, it's going to go on for a long time as well. There's no uh, there will be no let up in the need for supplies and and donations to support these people and animals that have uh, had to flee the conflict. Uh, it came about really in seeing what Gay was doing, seeing a drive for donations and and we thought it would be good we as the race and post thought it would be good to kind of get somebody over there to experience it firsthand because um yeah like i say we could we've done several stories with gay who's working tirelessly alongside the small matter of training resources to gain donations and and sort out the logistics of getting six or seven people over to poland um, but it, it we felt it was important to do a proper piece and go and really experience it and feel it and try and get that across so i i phoned gay up and said what do you think and within about a split second she said yeah absolutely i said i wouldn't like to get in the way and she said don't worry i'll put you to work so i'm a little bit worried about that but um it will be a, it will be a hell of an experience anyway yeah I, I suspect you might be getting your hands dirty jonathan if gay says i'm gonna put you to work <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think you'll just be um you'll just be holding a mobile phone and looking at ways no, I can't imagine I will be. Um, I make a good cup of tea. I generally can lift objects reasonably well from point A to B. Uh, my driving of vans and uh, things like that is a touch, uh, well, I'd say I'm inexperienced on that front, so I'm not entirely sure whether I'll be doing a leg of the driving in one of the smaller vehicles, but we shall see. Um, you just got to chuck yourself into it as the volunteers have. I was speaking to one of the volunteers who's Neil Carson, actually, uh, son of Willie, who's saying, just racing people, just get it done. It's just about going and getting the job done. So I'll have that spirit in mind when I'm uh, driving over there and, like you say, getting my hands dirty. And rather less fundamental, but important at least to this podcast, do you have a winner for me today? I certainly do. So my selection today is Roxoff, who runs in the 420 at Newmarket for Charlie Hills. Really progressive. Just bumped into one last time and was denied a hat-trick, but must have a good chance off a mark of 83. And we haven't prepared this, but I, for one, would be particularly pleased today of all days if Roxoff were to win, because he's owned by uh, Jerry Hines, whose colours have been carried to so much success by jump sources with Gary Moore and Tom Lacey. But latterly, he's had a wonderful run of it with his flat horses, with Charlie Hills, whose yard he, he sponsors in the name of the, the, his Stonegate Homes. And his charitable foundation is uh, having a, a, a fundraising ball this evening, Thursday the 23rd of June, amongst whose, um, amongst whose beneficiaries are the Children's Trust, Annika's Challenge and the RDA, but particularly close to my heart. Uh, and because of our friendship, he's also included uh, cystic fibrosis and the research that the Royal Brompton Hospital are doing. So uh, thanks to him and thanks to you for tipping his horse. And I hope he wins. <laughs> that was completely accidental. Totally. Um, I, people say you don't just chuck the show together, but sometimes we do. That's it from us for today. We will see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Outside, April Rock with Everett. As they race into the closing stages, it's Pedro in the blinkers and coming to challenge Mikala. Gold Ribbon on the outside, April Rock. Gold Ribbon on the outside, April Rock.
Listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. <laughs> 